What separates a good anime from a great anime? Why do some animes stick with us long after we've watched it? Welcome to the workshop. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. We're two friends from high school and now aspiring writers. And in this podcast, we discuss and deconstruct storytelling elements in some of our favorite animes. Before we start this episode, we want to just give a warning, a content warning that we will be discussing themes of suicide. It's going to be a recurring point of discussion because it's relevant to the show. So if you're sensitive to that topic, then you can maybe skip this episode. That is all. Thank you. Today in the workshop, we will be talking about Bungo Stray Dogs the 2016 anime series coming out from the creative kitchen of the folks over at Bones Animation Studio. Packed with supernatural action, noir-esque mystery, and quite a few deeper themes, we'll be breaking down our thoughts today on season one of the show in today's podcast episode. So, the story follows an 18-year-old named Atsushi Nakajima, One day, after being kicked out of his orphanage and struggling to get by, he sees a man trying to drown himself in a river and saves him. He learns that the man is named Osamu Dazai, and he is a detective with the Armed Detective Agency, a group of private investigators with supernatural abilities. Soon realizing that Asushi is gifted himself, he joins Dazai and the detective agency as they solve mysteries around Yokohama until eventually they find themselves embroiled with the city's most dangerous supernatural crime group, the Port Mafia. The Port Mafia? Dun, dun, dun. All right. So we will start off with our overall impressions as we do. Um, We're going to give a spoiler warning. We will be talking about the entirety of season one. Our overall impressions will be spoiler free. We'll talk about the show as a whole, how we felt about it, and then we'll be talking about the writing. And if you haven't seen Bungo and you want to, you might want to hop out at that point. So yeah, let's get started. Um, I will start with my overall impressions. Um, I have a lot to say about this show, so I'll probably be rambling a little bit Mm -hmm. because I'm still wrapping my head around the show. (laughs) There are a lot of interesting ideas here, I think. (laughs) There's some areas where I felt the show lacked narratively, but we will get Mm -hmm. into that. I'll start with the things that I liked. the premise on paper, I like. I like the idea of mm-hmm, reimagining same. these. The shtick of Bungo, if you somehow don't know, um, is the idea of reimagining these classic literature authors or the personas of these cl- classic literature authors. Um, that's very fun. I think mm-hmm. classics and literature tend to have an air of elitism to them. So I think that anything that brings like classic work into the mainstream and into pop culture or reimagines it for a new generation. I like that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought that was really fun. Um, I like the tonal balance of the show. I think the comedy is genuinely comedic. I think it's refreshing. I like that the protagonist, Atsushi, um, is more of an introverted, shyish type of character who feels like he has to grow into himself a little bit more. He's not that sort of shouty protagonist that we see from Shonen. Not that this is a Shonen because the characters are a little older, which I like. But also, he felt a little bit stagnant for me because he's so passive. And 
he doesn't really have any like motivations that are driving him forward mm-hmm. in any significant way, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, which is not to say that passive characters are bad. And I know that this is only the first season, but I think there was room for a little bit more there. So I guess Mm -hmm. I'll start talking about the character writing, which is one of my gripes. You could say that found family is a big theme in this show, but I don't think it was even explored that much. I think there was room to meditate maybe like on Mm -hmm. the sense of belonging that Atsushi is striving for or like that theme of found family a bit more or just anything. It doesn't even have to be that. (laughs) It's just meditate on anything, sir. Give me anything. it was a little bit lacking. The fight scenes were also, I think, lacking for me personally, like lacking emotional stakes because even if they're yeah. like, they tried sometimes, but it felt underdeveloped or a little bit shallow sometimes because characters are underdeveloped. Yes. There was something that was holding me back from feeling super invested about the show. And I do think a big part of that is you have this huge sweeping cast right mm, it's so it's many characters. massive and that's already really difficult to manage and so every character with the exception of Dazai feels very one note like every character can be like there's not doesn't feel like there's much beyond the surface had some gripes with the world building as well it uses a soft magic system which is fine um a soft magic system is when your magic system doesn't have any rules. So it's kind of like anything yeah. goes. Um, yeah, that's fine. But because the magic system is so soft, like anything can happen. Anything and so the fight happen. scenes weren't particularly interesting for me to watch because we've said this so many times, but fight scenes don't have to be. Yeah, like he just super... regenerated a limb. Like, yeah, no yeah, problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. They don't have to be super galaxy brain, but they do need to push character growth sometimes in in mm-hmm. some ways. The last thing I'm going to say is I think that another missed opportunity with this show is that it's an urban fantasy, right? So it takes place in a contemporary society, our place, our time. And you have a society where you have supernatural people and non-supernatural people. You have people who have powers and people who don't. And you don't and the show doesn't really ever look into the nuances of what a society yeah like that would actually look like. It feels like the story is happening in a vacuum and it, it just focuses mm-hmm. on the detective agency, the mafia, and the American, the the guild, the other group. <laughs> the American, um, yeah. And that's fine if your story wants to happen in a vacuum. I just think it's a missed opportunity to take your world building one step further. And I don't know, I know that that is slightly subjective. It's important for me to say that I don't, really consume urban fantasies. Um, But when I do, I like urban fantasies that lean into the real world a little bit more and acknowledge it and make it a part of their story instead of completely ignoring it and just focusing just on the fantastical people. Mm -hmm. So like shows like BNHA or Jujutsu Kaisen, I think are really great urban fantasies because they make the real world a part of their story. I don't think it's it's just a subjective take. I think that a lot of the objective benefits of using urban fantasy or like operating within the genre of urban fantasy is that you can Mm. benefit from those more realistic connections that you're Mm -hmm. able to make. I actually had it in my overall impressions too. Like I, Mm -hmm. I, I said the world building seemed a bit lazy um, because I gathered little to no information (laughs) from the interactions or the scenes about Mm -hmm. 
Like, I didn't even know what time period we were in. Like, the NPCs were, like, hoodies that people would wear in the 21st century. But the main characters wear, like, suspenders. I was very confused about that. And then also, I said, yeah, I would have loved to see more um, nuance with regards to maybe, like, the economical or, like, political dynamics between the various groups at the port. Like, when they first introduced the mafia, the port Mm -hmm. mafia, I was like, wow, that's actually pretty cool. Like, I would love to know more about that because Mm -hmm. there's so much to explore with, like, this rogue villainous group. But I will say that, to this show's credit, I really enjoyed the show. I don't love it. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed watching it. Like, mm-hmm. I enjoyed turning it on, leaning back and be like, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. there was never a dull moment. Um, there was always some action going on or a mystery that they were trying to solve. But other than that, it just felt like the show didn't bring anything new or original to the table. Like, they, they had an ensemble cast, which was great. A lot mm-hmm. of the characters were really cute. But a lot of the plot twists were also kind of predictable. Um, A lot of the powers that they displayed were not that original. Mm -hmm. Um, They were beautiful, though. I will say that this show Mm -hmm. is really, really well designed. I love the character designs. I just was so enamored with, like, how the Mm -hmm. characters looked. Um, Even though the characters themselves... The characters themselves were a little bit tropey. I'm willing to live with it, though, because... (laughs) They do have heartfelt moments and moments mm. where they make me laugh. Yes. Um, would they make me cry, though? <laughs> no. <laughs> and I say that because I feel like a lot of the portrayal of their quote-unquote meaningful moments or meaningful interactions, they're not given as much, as you said, meditation. They're not mm. given a lot of weight or time to like marinate within the yeah. audience's mind. Yeah. Um, and so later on in the show, when the stakes get higher and they really fall back on this deep emotional connection that the characters are supposed to have with each other, or at least that they say they have with each other, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel too believable because, you know, throughout the course of the it's season... It's fast-paced. Mm-hmm, throughout mm-hmm. the course of the season, their more emotional moments were kind of rushed. They felt rushed. Um And on the topic of pacing, I feel a love-hate relationship with this show's pacing because sometimes I think they, like, hit it out of the ballpark. Their pacing is awesome. Mm. And other times it feels like things are way too rushed. So, for example, Mm. um, I really enjoyed episodes 8 to 9, which we'll talk about later. I won't spoil, but that was the episode about Kunikida. When they really have time to, you know slow down and spend more time on on various plot devices and um, conversations between the characters. And then they have other episodes like episode five where you just like know that the writers <laughs> went in and they were like, yeah, we're going to spend this episode just, you know, introducing this new character and his abilities. Okay, that's it. That's the itinerary. And then yeah. they craft, <laughs> that's the show, on the like, agenda. Craft, craft an episode around it. <laughs> I will go back to saying that I enjoyed the show. I did. I yes, did. It, it was fun to like watch. I did, but I yeah. did. And some people might just like, you know, just the flashiness of it, just the mm-hmm. action, just on the surface level. Um, and I think a lot of people do because it's a very popular show, and that's totally fine. Let's get started with the writing analysis. Okay. Episodes one to four. 
So I really like the exposition. I really liked the ideas that are first presented. They are really new and different and original. I like this part. Um, It opens up with this scene of Atsushi literally dying of starvation. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, oh, like, should I die? Should I steal? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. So it it was like very unconventional. It kind of like shocked you Mm. and then we meet our second lead um dazai and you know he comes out of the river well he's saved by atsushi from the river and we find out it's because he's trying to commit suicide yeah (laughs) now i have stuff to say about that but i'll we'll stick Mm -hmm. to the writing first but it was just a really interesting way of introducing your main two leads and it makes you wonder like oh what conditions drove them to Mm -hmm. to being here it's kind of like dropping the reader or the the audience in the middle of this conflict that's already occurring the the opening of this show is is really good i liked it the tone is immediately set to kind of have like a dark comedy vibe it goes back to what i was saying earlier about how i felt like the comedy was well timed and it worked to show you an aspect of these characters personalities Mm -hmm. i I talked a lot about as she kind of being this like passive passive type protagonist who like doesn't have these like screamy type motivations um, to like achieve his dreams because he's just a character who's just trying to survive. He kind of gets pulled into the the events of the detective agency mm-hmm. kind of unwittingly. Um, and th- like he's kind of enticed by something as simple as just like a monetary reward. Like um, he's just kind of yeah. like Haruhi and Oran High School <laughs> Host Club. Yeah, I just think the idea of him being like a broke, starving 18-year-old kid who's just like, oh, yeah. I want nothing to do with you. Oh, but you're going to pay me? Okay, I'm here. <laughs> like, I was just like, that's kind of funny, kind of believable. One of the first people, I guess like one of the first fights that we see is Dazai fighting. And his power is basically that he can like nullify other people's power. So he's basically a racer head. Um, <laughs> I wrote in my notes, I was like, Dazai fighting with his hands in his pockets, flashbacks to Spike Spiegel. Oh no, he's hot. (laughs) And that's how I felt about episode one. Okay, I'll talk about Atsushi for a little bit and what Mm -hmm. I thought about his character. I take a little bit of an issue with his backstory. And his Mm. backstory is not, you know, anything like... Uh, it's, it's not anything that's revealed later on, but it's very much introduced to the very beginning of the show. But I think that the idea of the orphanage kicking him out for possessing a supernatural ability is a very large and looming subject that they don't really spend time fleshing out. Mm, Maybe they do in later point. seasons, Yeah. but I really thought that it had all of the shock factor and yes. no substance. As we mentioned in our overall comments, we don't get any indication as to what other people, other than the supernatural characters, how they feel about gifted people, how mm-hmm. they deal with gifted people. Yeah. Heck, even in the later episodes when um, there are massive crimes involved, like murder and bombings. Yeah, yeah the lots police of bombs are, in this in Yeah, this show. The, the characters are like, oh, you know, like, the police are so incompetent. We'll just do it ourselves. And it's like, okay, why do we even have police then? Like, exactly. If you're not even going to call you- the police. <laughs> why are, why <laughs> are you private investigators? I'll also go back to the 
to the uh, idea of suicide and, you know, having that be so intricately tied to Dazai's yep. character. I thought, as I said, I thought it was a really interesting addition. Mm. And I was very confused at first because, mm-hmm. as I said, it's, it's, it's another, like, shock factor kind of thing. But also, I feel like uh, just on a more higher general level, it's a really big device in like traditional Japanese literature to Mm -hmm. explore double suicide, being so in love with somebody that and and hating the world at the same time that Mm. you guys would uh, almost like participate in this ritual of double suicide. For me, what I hope they do with his character is that they kind of go into the reasons of like actually why are you why is he suicidal you know and not just <laughs> actually <having> why it, <laughs> and not just have it be yeah. this like quirky personality trait but like have it there's something about like his experience his past that has him project this sort of flippant attitude towards mm-hmm. death like I think mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. and again like it, this is not going to be a criticism for this season because it's only one season. Maybe they go into who his character really yeah, is in exactly. later seasons. There's a lot you need to unpack there. So hopefully it, it's unpacked. In episode three, okay. we meet the first characters of the Port Mafia. So mm-hmm. we're introduced to Akutagawa and Higuchi. Well, first of all, I really love the idea of the Port Mafia. I love... I love stories about mafia, about mafiosos. I don't know why. I think yeah. they're so like suave and like cool. Not real mm. ones, but like in anime. Not real ones. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I real love ones. this concept of the port mafia. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I think that this was the episode where I was like, "Whoa!" Like, am I watching Attack on Titan? Because I see oh. blood everywhere. You know, this show isn't gonna be scared of showing blood. Isn't gonna be sh- scared of killing off characters um at least i thought so and then the characters somehow came back to life um so that was kind of disappointing actually but yes same they weren't afraid to you know cut a few limbs off you know i'm not a believer that every you have to have gore you have to have extreme amounts of violence to be a good show yeah but i thought that this show needed something like that it needed that punch to stick out it starts off and the cast is like sitting in this like cafe and they're just talking and and the first conversation that they're having is this really light-hearted like um guessing game where dazai is explaining that oh yeah um guess who like what what we used to do before we were private investigators um and then they sort of like as a joke are just like no one has ever been able to guess what Dazai used to do. And it's just mm-hmm. like a funny, casual conversation. But it also is like kind of an interesting plot device because it's comedic. Yeah. And in the back of your mind, it's like inviting mystery, but you're not thinking that much about it, right? And then the story moves forward. We are also meeting the villains for the first time. Like the flow of it was 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 fine. We learn that Atsushi has a bounty on him that invites a lot of mystery as well, who's hunting him. And then at the end, we get this this re- revelation that Dazai used to be a mm. member of the mafia. And Too that's something soon. that's something that you. we as the audience are privy to, but the rest of the cast is not, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of nice because it's like, oh, callbacks to the start of the episode where you right, thought that that right. was just 
a casual scene. Actually, it was like sort of leading up to this moment where you're like, oh, it was a good episode. We go into episode four. We find out that Tanazaki and his sister, who we saw get like brutally murdered. Brutally murdered. Are actually fine? (laughs) Question mark? Yeah. I'm so confused. I hate when shows (laughs) make it. They frame it so that... (laughs) No, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just like, oh, actually, we're just gonna, we're actually just going to retract that statement. We only did it for shock Am value. I a joke to but you? we don't want to, we don't want to actually pay the consequences of killing off these characters. So we're actually just gonna say that they were fine. So they, they're, they're alive, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Which is like, why didn't you just kill them? It's not like they do anything anyway. I totally agree. <laughs> Sorry, I sound so angry. I don't hate them or anything. I just think they're not doing anything. So you might as well kill them. Yeah. Oh, I thought that they, I thought that they revealed Dazai's character background too early. Like even to mm. the, to, uh, to the audience, even if the whole cast doesn't know yet, because Dazai, having watched the entirety of season one now, mm. he is such a great character to have on the main cast. He's, kind of like a constant presence that's been there the entire show but Mm. he's still such an enigma by the end of the season Mm. and that creates so much intrigue um it keeps viewers hooked like they want to know more about him and i bet that at the end when they do when we do find out more about him the Mm. emotional payoff is going to be chef's kiss great but you know, like, I feel like they could have held on to that. Like, that was a great opportunity to reveal something about this enigma of a character and then reveal it slowly, you know, later on during the season. But they revealed it, like, at the end of that same episode. Mm. So I was like, oh, too soon. That's why I was saying too soon. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I really like Dazai as a character. I think that the writer definitely spent a lot of time etching out his character in particular. <laughs> you know when you like you watch a show and you're like, that is the writer's favorite. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause oh, yeah. like it's just like you can tell this one was developed and none of the rest of the kids were. <laughs> I'm gonna disagree on on him revealing the like Dazai's backstory too soon mm-hmm. because the way that I interpreted it was that for me it was kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop where it's like, Mm. it's a constant point of tension. It's in the back of your mind and you're like, this is going to unravel at some point. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the author is like holding this bomb and you're like, you don't really know (laughs) when it's gonna go off, but you know that it's there. You see how vicious this group is. And so you're trying to balance that in your mind constantly with Mm -hmm. how how much of an idiot Dazai is and like just how like, (laughs) Yeah. nonchalant and like jokey he is at first when we first meet akutagawa i was like mm. why like <laughs> he doesn't even do anything like he's he just made out up. to be this really vicious and very dangerous character uh-huh. and you know how they introduced him they took out a polaroid photo of him and they were like watch out for this guy he is very oh, yeah, vicious yeah, yeah. and dangerous yeah <laughs> and it's like okay okay thanks for just telling me that in hindsight I like that they uh, revealed who he was and his nature at the beginning because Mm. it wasn't like we have this big bad who is very unattainable, very far Mm -hmm. away and dissociated that we kind of eventually get to know, um, but towards the end of the season. But instead, we get introduced to the 
big bad of the season at the very start. So, you know, we get a little bit, uh, get a little taste of his powers, a little taste of his motivations, so that by the time the finale, the boss fight rolls around, Mm. we have a little bit more background on who this character is. And, you know, now he's out for vengeance because the last time he was here, he got sucker punched. So episode five, um... (sighs) Yeah, so I'm in pain. <laughs> episode five. This episode basically just serves to introduce um, another detective agency member named Rampo. They get called out on this case or something. And the police and don't even like them. They yeah, show the up and they're like, like go home. <laughs> right. And that's an interesting, interesting dynamic mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. Ugh, missed opportunities. There's so many missed yeah. opportunities. Like, <laughs> imagine exploring the dynamic of the police and law enforcement like butting heads with like the supernatural law enforcement like hello Mm -hmm. this could have been x-files but it wasn't i thought it was like so funny how they introduce rampo and it's like oh look his ability is that when he puts on these glasses he can just solve a crime and i was like if this is really his ability then why does this city have any crime at all because you make something as easy as this and it's like i have so many questions now yeah um and then in the end it turns out that actually he's he doesn't even have that's not even a supernatural ability he's just smart he's just a (laughs) smart guy maybe this is supposed to be a more light-hearted episode but Mm -hmm. i was like no substance. I felt nothing. I feel like this is just a thought I had right now, but maybe mm-hmm. they were just trying to incorporate too much. Like this whole show happening. is re- revolves around the idea of your characters in the anime being based on real people or, you know, paying homage to their work, other works. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the idea itself yes. of a Sherlock type character is yeah. really cool to me. I yeah. love this idea of a guy with no powers who mm. just, is able to deduce things based on deductive reasoning. Yeah. And that idea in and of itself is great enough to warrant a whole show like like Sherlock. Mm. But it just felt like the writer was like, I want that. Let me take it, compress, <laughs> and put it into a like a 20-minute episode. It was like the murder mm. wasn't even important, you know? That's the inevitable challenge with when you're trying to do Monster of the Week at the start is like you mm. want to write contained stories, right? I don't really think that the the, the murder had to tie into the main story, but it, it had mm. to it had to progress something, something more than just like yeah. he's a smart guy. Is there is yeah. there something here that That's could she tie was it? literally just watching the whole time. Yeah, he was just sitting there being like, "Wow." So he's smart. I want to talk about episodes six and seven. Yep. I don't know how you feel about these, but I really loved these two episodes. I thought that Kunikita's character at first was very tropey. I really didn't like his character because he was like your typical glasses flashing every time Mm. he pulls it up character. But I liked that we were able to peel back the layers on this character for these two episodes. Um, I like that we explored themes of guilt because there's this whole mm. storyline about how Kunikira feels guilty for being in- involved in some way with a um, with an incident a few years back that resulted in the death of the father of this kid that he's now like adopted mm. into the agency because he feels a sense of guilt. And, you know, there's also some 
romantic interest involved as well. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, I do think it's a product of having two entire episodes to flesh out this one storyline. They were able to spend a lot more time on certain ideas that they wanted to emphasize and you can tell that they really paid attention to detail. I guess I do like that it starts that like episode six just kind of starts off with like um, like a Port Mafia case and you're just like, okay, it's about the Port Mafia. And then it, it ties into this like Azure mm-hmm. messenger mysterious figure and then we learn and that unravels and it's like, oh, there's a past there. There's a story there. I like that, that mm-hmm. kind of flow of events. I like this particular sequence that happens in episode seven where the Azure messenger basically sends them a bomb threat mm-hmm. and it's like a really polite bomb threat. It's like, I planted a bomb. <laughs> Please disarm it. And it's like, thanks, sincerely, Azure Messenger. Like, it's like, okay, love that. Um, mm-hmm. But I like that sequence where they're like in the car and then Atsushi, Dazai, and Kunikita all get phone calls at the I same time mm-hmm. from different people. It's just a, it's just well shot. Yeah, and I like that they were kind of like playing with some, some style there, you know? Like they were adding some some flair to that scene exactly. like I thought that was fun was that creepy. really yeah that really stood out to me I liked how every small discovery triggered something else triggered a bigger yeah. problem or recalled back to something we had already learned until it reaches this like culmination this climax in that abandoned hospital I mm. felt like it was structured um it had a clear direction in it, in which it was going I don't, I'm not a fan of the final reveal, um, but I will say that essentially what happens at the end is that the bo- the young boy and the woman mm-hmm. who is actually behind it, they, they kill and shoot each other. I like that Kunikira really loses his cool in that moment. We, we are able to spend some time talking about why that is, and I like the exchange that Dazai and Kunikira have afterwards just exploring this idea of like living long enough to see yourself become the villain and I don't know if that's something that they're going to explore in later seasons but I like that it was brought up because it makes the uh, the audience think about okay like what happens if Kunikita did let vengeance consume Mm. him and Mm -hmm. did let you know guilt consume his thoughts and his actions like it was effective at breaking away from the mold that this show had made and carved for itself so far into the season and setting up really interesting questions for future seasons as well. I just felt like at the end, like the plot twist was like just a little bit, I don't know. It just, oh, yeah. the plot it just didn't really land for me. Um, yeah. Dazai and Kunikita are like talking and they're kind of just like, they're, it was like a moment where it's like, okay, the characters are talking, but I can tell it's the writer talking. It's like, oh, it yeah, felt like I a see, writer's room speech that wasn't earned, mm. where it was like, I get the thematic exposition you're trying to go for, this idea of like, what is right and wrong mm-hmm. with ideals and everything. But they were just like literally screaming out those words. I see. And yeah, I was like, I agree. where's the nuance? I can't find her. She's gone. Uh-huh. I think it was at this point that I realized why the mysteries and the plot twists in this show don't do it for me. Mm-hmm. And it's because, like, they always introduce this character or this fact that seems really obviously out of place early on. Like, they'll <laughs> yeah. introduce it and you're like, 
why did they tell me that? And then it becomes the main crux of the plot twist. You know, (laughs) I don't have any substantive advice to give. Mm -hmm. I just know that it doesn't work and (laughs) it doesn't catch me off guard. It doesn't have the shock factor. (laughs) Let's go to episode eight to 10. Episode eight starts with Dazai getting kidnapped. And we don't see him for until like the end of the episode. In the meantime, we are spending time with Atsushi and another, like the doctor that works at the agency. Right. Yosano. Yosano. They, (laughs) she like ropes him into a shopping trip. They go onto a train and (laughs) there's a bomb. There's a bomb. (laughs) Lo and behold. That's the third bomb in one season. We're also introduced to a girl named Kyoka. Right. I okay, just this is say where that Kyoka looks sick. Like her. Oh yeah, power her character design is cool. So cool. Yeah, there's there's an aspect of her character that's super brutal. Um, because she's obviously being used as an assassin by the Port Mafia. So okay, this is where my undercooked character writing comes in again because Oof. I get, I kind of felt um like Asushi was like where does he need a training arc like because he's just like constantly That's like what I said he's constantly getting put into these fights and it's like but are you learning things are you learning how to use your abilities because the emotional crux of this fight is that he starts fighting this girl she starts in this like very like almost like creepy doll like way where she's like I've killed 35 people, I'm a killer, I will kill you. And then two seconds later, she's like, you know what, actually, I don't want to be a bad guy. And then Asushi like jumps out and saves her. It happened so quickly. It was so weak. He does have one moment where he he's like kind of down on his knees and um, he's like, oh, an idea just popped into my head. It's kind of stupid, but like. If I save the passengers on this train, it means I'm, like, my life is worth it, you know? And, okay, about the, like, protagonist development, I agree Mm -hmm. that in terms of tact, like, technicalities and, like, practical usage of his abilities, nothing. He goes from zero Mm. to 100 real fast with no Mm. steps in between. Mm. And I don't understand any of it. And I hate it. Mm. But the emotional development of his character is done a little bit better i think Mm. that you can see where the writer tries to you know um develop him in that way like Mm -hmm. to to somebody it's a somebody else it's probably a really basic idea to think oh yeah like it's good to save people and like yeah like i do deserve to live but to him it's like it makes sense that if he were to come from the depths of low self-esteem and like really truly feeling like he's worthless and like doesn't deserve to take up space on this planet Mm -hmm. then that he would you know decide in that moment that he has to do something or else what has this all been for you know right so i can see the emotional connection that the author tries to make in this scenario i think my biggest gripe was was just like i felt like kyoko was like a switch and mm. it was it just happened so quickly. I think it could have been a little bit more effective if maybe she converts because because she sees Atsushi save her mm-hmm. and she's just really like 
moved by the fact that a person that she's trying to kill would actually try to save her or something like that. We see more of Kyoka's character in the next episode. I will say I was all about this like pseudo date episode. And because Kyoka had like spent her whole life as an orphan Mm -hmm. in one part of her life and then as like a mafia tool in the other part, she hasn't been able to experience things. So she was like, Yeah, Ferris wheel and ice cream. That's super cute. (laughs) Yeah. I was It's a bit tropey, but it was was okay. So cute. It was so No, I was all for it. I was I was like simping for this episode. (laughs) Um, I really liked it. I think I thought it was really cute. That's the thing that this show does well, I find. This show does well in and portraying, you know, kind of like very traditionally very cutesy, heartwarming and funny comedic scenes and moments. But then Atsushi also kind of relates, he, if like he kind of relates him saving Kyoka or like taking her under his wing in the same way that mm-hmm. Dazai kind of did, right? And so you're kind of creating, there's a kind of this theme of like mentor and mentee and that sort of dynamic that is mm-hmm. is re-explored towards the end of the season as well. Yeah, yeah. With Akutagawa's character, where we learn some stuff about his relation, his past relationship with Dazai. The mentor-mentee relationship, but specifically in the context of uh, believing in somebody who you have no reason to believe in. I want to talk about like the other half of this episode where we basically see that Dazai yeah. is be- he's like being held prisoner um, by mm. the Port Mafia, and I really like this scene where. Akutagawa comes up to Dazai and Dazai's like all locked up or whatever and they're having this like interaction and I I think that his interactions with the Port Mafia are effective because you can you can tell that there's a lot of history there and that they they don't give you everything all at once the main takeaway that we get from them is that um Dazai used to be Akutagawa's like mentor in some in some way so cool like that's kind of something that's festering with Akutagawa is his past really his past mentor relationship with Dazai. Um, there's something there that he feels insecure about, mm-hmm. especially in relation to Dazai now taking a new mentee in Atsushi, and Dazai specifically saying that he's better. Atsushi is better than Akutagawa. Yeah. So there's some. There is some interesting tension that's being built there and some interesting layers being added to Dazai's character, Akutagawa's character, and Atsushi's character, all in the span of like one conversation, mm-hmm. which I thought was good. Yeah, and because the idea of Dazai's past with the Port Mafia is such a thing of mystery, mm-hmm. I like that you're able to glean small hints of what that rela- past relationship was like from their small interactions. And mm-hmm. also because we've gotten to know Dazai as a certain kind of character, and mm-hmm. now we're trying to like mentally visualize Kate exactly. Dazai as a character and Akutagawa as a character together. Yeah. Like, how yeah, does yeah, that yeah. work? You know, yeah. it's a lot of intrigue. And then also, uh, I like that we also get um, insight into why Akutagawa is so out to get Atsushi, apart from just the bounty. And right, it's not money. just bounty. Mm-hmm. But there is now a personal history and a personal yes. vendetta involved. Mm-hmm. Um which raises the stakes, frankly. Yeah. So that's cool. We could talk about Atsushi and versus Akutagawa. So why is Akutagawa out here calling everyone weak? Like, <laughs> Atsushi <laughs> is clearly not weak, you know? Yeah. Yes, he doesn't know how to use his abilities. 
Does he all of a sudden learn how to use his abilities without any training? Yes. So you can't call that weak, you know? Like, this guy's owning your butt. Yeah, I was a little pissed yeah. off by that. Um, yeah. Okay, so you just built up Kyoka as this amazing character. Now you're just going to fling her to the side, and then she's going to be fine by the end of the fight. It's like, okay, anyways, we'll talk about that later. The reason that it's just I feel so lukewarm about it is because I feel lukewarm about everything that has been building up to this moment like yeah I, I i don't know it's not really one specific thing it's just like my general feelings about the show as a whole but it was fun to watch it was really fun to watch listen yeah. we're only nitpicky because we focus on the narrative aspect yeah and the narrative aspect wasn't great yeah it was but oh man it wasn't bad but it was Akutaka just like was, like abilities look right. sick you know yeah. like yeah. the fact that they can be so dangerous and so fast this show has an aesthetic. We're just not aesthetic ex- experts, so that's I, why it's we're just not. It's it just so not my aesthetic, it, but it has yeah, it right, has right, an aesthetic. <laughs> so, episode eleven, we talk about um, some more characters that we had met earlier on: Higuchi and Kenji, I believe that's his name was. Um, and oh, then yes. we also get introduced to the guild members from America. The idea of like creating this like whole other organization for the American authors. I like that. Like, especially as someone who like, I don't even think you need to have like deep literature, like knowledge, but like it is just objectively Mm kind of cool Mm -hmm, to see, mm -hmm. you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Lucy Maud Montgomery. So in this episode, a significant portion of it is dedicated to Higuchi acting out because Akutagawa got seriously injured in his fight. So he's kind of like in a hospital bed. And um, I have a lot to say about Higuchi just being an Akutagawa simp. I think that if you are going to have a character that is just blindly following another character who, to us, is a violent murderer, um, it's just kind of like... You gotta explain that. You gotta, you gotta show your work. I need an explanation. You gotta show your work. They are clearly trying to get us to sympathize with the Port Mafia characters, which I like. I do think it's actually such a lovely moment where Higuchi, like, comes into the room where Akutaga was lying on the bed, and she, like, up until this point, we see Akutagawa as just, like, a very, like, serious character, as a very solemn character who is just really rude to Higuchi sometimes and, like, doesn't really seem to notice her at all or, like, care for how much she is, like, you know, would die for him and everything. But she comes in and he just kind of looks at her and says, I'm sorry. And I was like, I literally wrote in my notes, wow, that's such a lovely moment. Imagine if we cared about them. It would be even lovelier. I just felt like... We were we were rushing to that plot point. We were rushing to the emotional catharsis without yeah. fully laying all the appropriate groundwork. I'm sorry. I'm not going to sympathize with Akutagawa just because you make a woman fall for him. Exactly. Like, that doesn't make me sympathize for him, okay? I actually really enjoyed that sequence of them seemingly casting Higuchi aside because she wasn't as powerful as her, right. as, a, as her counterpart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in her most crucial and dire moments coming to aid her because we're like under your command. So we're, right. we're here for you. We're loyal to you. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, I wish that I 
could have learned more about why they had that change of heart because mm-hmm. it seemed very sudden. It was. But I like the premise of it, the overall yeah. premise. I thought it was the very... The ideas were there. The execution the ideas were was there. not. So yes. the final episode. All right. I got to I got to All talk right. about the title Go of this ahead, episode. <laughs> so Go ahead, Chris. Episode 12. We are like officially introduced to the leader of the guild, which is the American Organized Crime Group. And the title of this episode, and the the leader is F. Scott Fitzgerald. The title of this episode is Born Back Ceaselessly into the Past. I was like, I don't even like the show that much, but I kind of tingled at the call out, Mm -hmm. um, which is obviously a reference to the, the ending line of The Great Gatsby. I love that. And so we beat on boats against the current. Yes, yes, yes. I loved it. <laughs> there is this overarching idea of like a mysterious urban legend like guild that's like rich AF and, you know, they kind of are like shrouded in mystery and everything. I think that idea is is interesting, but I don't know. Like the way they came in was just like a little bit random. I don't know. How did you feel about it? They were like oh my gosh, this mysterious guild who's very powerful and rich. Oh, look, they're outside right now coming in from a (laughs) helicopter. Let's go say hi. And it's like, what? (laughs) How convenient It has the same energy as them as episode three where they were like, look at this Polaroid of a violent murderer. Oh, look, there he is. Oh, look, let's go fight him. Okay, I thought that the premise of the way like the way that they came into the show was a little bit convoluted maybe i'm just dumb so we learned that the guild was the one that placed the bounty on asushi on the were tiger and they used it they just did it just to make the port mafia attack the agency because they want the agency's gifted business permit to essentially buy them out can someone explain to me what that means first? And we didn't even hear the words gifted business permit until yeah, this episode. If that's going to be the culmination of your whole oh, entire God. season, your whole entire mystery, maybe tell me what how important a gifted business permit is like a little bit earlier. They were like, sorry, we can't sell it to you because, um, you know, like we are for the people. We yeah. don't work for the filthy rich. Right. But like yeah. you are liter- literally a sector of the human population who is gifted. You have something <laughs> that humans don't have that you could easily extort. So what is stopping you from doing that? Oh, the goodness of your heart. And then also the fight scene that happens in this episode. With Lucy? With Lucy. Okay convoluted but i like that part i thought it was right well okay, yeah introduced when kenji gets into the elevator with them he comes right. out and he's gone you know right um i thought because it sets this up it sets up these characters as one of as characters like on another level you can't even mm. explain how their gifts work because you can't even see them at in in action they uh-huh. move so fast i think half of the fun for me came from the the idea of being able to identify uh parts of the original author that they were trying to work in because i think one of the Mm -hmm. main things that called us at least to this series was the idea that oh like they're going to be using author real life authors and incorporating little tidbits about them into the show yeah and they delivered like i was like oh Mm -hmm. anne of green gables is all about an orphan 
mm-hmm. like Atsushi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was making those connections and I was yeah. like, oh, I'm having fun. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, I really like that premise. I also like that there are a few moments where we, we are made to believe that Atsushi either loses or is ready to give up. Because mm-hmm. at this point, I'm, I don't know, I'm still confused because sometimes he seems really, really competent. And other times he doesn't. Yeah. And I believe I believe it when he doesn't because he is a rookie and he does have all of these feelings of inadequacy and mm-hmm. like he doesn't know what's going on. So I like that they tap into that. I like that he um I like that this show tries to explore themes of how do you save somebody who isn't savable, even if you want to, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. um Atsushi, during the fight, he doesn't think about how he's going to get out of the situation. It's not like he thinks about how he's going to win that much. He mostly Mm -hmm. thinks about how he can protect himself, the people in danger, and also Lucy. So he says to himself, like, if Dazai were here, Dazai would be able to, I don't know, come up with a solution that would help everybody. And that's what he wants to do. I can kind of understand, like, his feelings of feeling like... He's surrounded by all all of these vets, these like veterans all the time who are so experienced, who mm-hmm. can really make something new out of a bad situation um, and be creative with their solutions. But he can't. And he recognizes that. He recognizes mm-hmm. that he's like still a rookie. And yeah. so mm-hmm. it requires like some extra encouragement, some wisdom there to help him. One thing that I did like about this is the way that it concludes and it, it kind of sets up um, the rest of the show, I guess, like Port Mafia has killed one of the guild members who was supposedly an assassin. And so it mm-hmm. kind of sets up like, okay, now the ball is rolling. You have all of these like organized crime groups that now kind of are having this like sort of open war. From a vibes perspective, I mean, they're there. I'm not going to say the vibes aren't there, mm-hmm. but it was just like, Everything was very surface level, in my opinion. Like, from a plotting perspective, mm. you have all these interesting ideas, all these interesting entities, and and the way that they're conflicting and overlapping, it doesn't feel, like, super engaging in that way that you expect, like, a mystery to just, like, grip right. you. There's more opportunity for redemption, you know? I'm, I'm willing yeah. to listen to what you have to say. I'm willing to hear you out, sir. I'm willing to, <laughs> to let you finish your story. So, for the next segment on the pod, we like to do the Bechdel test. Um, This was a test that was devised by a cartoonist named Alison Bechdel. It's a measure of female representation in any given piece of media. It is comprised of three simple questions. Number one, are there at least two named female characters? Number two, do they speak to each other? And number three, do they speak to each other about something other than a male love interest? Let's discuss this. Are there two female characters? Yes. Yes. I can name two. Yeah. It's a low bar. Do they speak to each other? Questionable. Honestly, questionable. I'm going to give this one a fail because no. And even if yes, I can't even tell you like one substantive conversation between two. I really can't. Okay, you know what? Let's start with let's start with maybe some of the characters that we don't feel as negatively about. Um, sure. So we'll start with Doctor Yasano, who is a member of the detective agency. 
Mm-hmm. What would you like to say about her? She's a doctor. You know? <laughs> Women in STEM. <laughs> Nothing that is done elsewhere in the show substantiate this substantiates this like position of this show as being for women she's she's there for that one episode and she has her own little fight scene but that's kind of it she doesn't really push the plot forward in any significant way and then in other areas or other scenes she's seen as being like a very like over sexualized doctor too so i'm not even gonna give the doctor thing to her yeah it's it's almost like it's cosplay like it's a costume yeah. yeah. Yes. Anyways. All right. Next. Uh, <laughs> Boy, do I have things to say about Miss Higuchi. All right. Okay, I let's think talk she's about a Higuchi. real person. I think she was an actual writer. Ooh. But we'll mm-hmm. just talk about her character. If there was better female representation throughout the rest of the show, I wouldn't even nitpick this. But the fact that the female characters in the show are so weak and the one that kind of has substance it's like her arc is revolved around how much she simps and stands this one yeah edgelord (laughs) i'm sorry if people like really like his character and he has some kind of character development that i don't know about but as of right now she that's like all that there is like to her at the moment and it kind of sucks that like that's just entirely like her arc is like how loyal she is to this guy and there's no context to the loyalty really mm-hmm. and it sucks that the guy she's loyal to like physically abuses her yeah let's that not even talk help. like you could eat you could at least let her sit for a good guy but he's not even a good guy maybe he's a he violent murderer a that's terrible a good, murderer exactly but a good guy to her yeah at least that would make sense know. i'm not saying right. we're not condoning that kind of behavior but it would make more sense, you know? All the char- all the female characters in the show are either, like, over-sexualized. They're, right. they're like, so insignificant. They right. are portrayed as, like, kind of crazy. Or they are Higuchi, who's just, like, super loyal to a murderer and a mean person. Okay, I feel like there's this thing where women, when you're trying to, like, kill them, slowly... You, like, choke them to death. But you don't really do that to, like, other characters. So when they were showing, like, Tanizaki slowly choking her to death in episode two or three, I was like, this physically makes me sick. Uh, I'm not going to look. Um, the next person we can talk about is Kyoka. Yeah, we can talk about Kyoka. I um, like Kyoka. Yeah, she's, she's a child, so, like immediately are kind of endeared to her because yeah she's a kid and like she's in this like really tough situation i don't know like kyoka was just like yeah she's she's average i i would say like i think we kind of pointed out earlier but like (laughs) they immediately put her in a maid outfit and i was like okay i get it it's supposed to be cute but also she's a child so i'm just gonna so that just makes you like kind of uncomfortable because it's like Mm -hmm. there are connotations to that to that Mm -hmm. cosplay and you're gonna put it on your your literal child's character weird weird to me super weird to me and if i if i could also say say something about the agency why are all of the clerical and and administrative characters women in pencil skirts Mm. why when you make it so blatant yeah it's like are you even trying (laughs) yeah yeah and i think like 
like you can't even use the excuse of like oh but we're just like using like the like real personas of real people there are like female Japanese writers guys like there's yeah it's I don't know it is such a missed opportunity um yeah. let's talk about what I consider to be the gravest sin in oh. the show which is oh. uh Naomi's character oh um yes. She's the sister of Tanizaki, who is like another person at the agency. And I kid you not, her entire character is that she flirts with her brother. That's it. That's all. They said incest. <laughs> they said incest in the first two episodes. They said it. They said incest. And they didn't even give her powers. Yeah, I get it. It's like a trope. Mm -hmm. And there are just some anime who are going to like use it as like a comedic thing. I think it's stupid, but hey, I'm not going to kink shame people. Mm -hmm. And also, I think there's something to be said about the way that Tanizaki is like uncomfortable with the way that she is speaking and like acting and stuff. If you were to reverse that and it's like a man making those kinds of like dirty comments or implications to a female character you would be immediately like that guy is slimy and it wouldn't be right. funny but right. then you flip it and it's just like oh but since it's a girl to a guy it's actually funny mm -hmm. right how it's does like that this, work like, very skewed fantasy of just girls like falling over themselves for you to the point yeah. where you hate it the fact that it's like they didn't even use NPC women characters. They used the only women characters, Dr. Yosano and Naomi, the only two women characters of the agency to do that. And it's like, yeah, yeah. OK, so yeah. you just ruined all the women at the agency for me. <laughs> I That's a good point. Like, it's one thing if it's like, oh, you want to have a couple scenes like that with some like background characters like right and stuff like just as like set pieces essentially for your main characters but okay where where's the substance for your named female characters then right there is none there is none they just fall over tanizaki who's not even cute well he's okay he's okay all <laughs> right i wouldn't fawn over but that's not the point that's not the point like literally that's not the point <laughs> Okay, for our next segment, we've got a special segment coming up. So our next segment is called BTS Bungo Stray Dogs. Behind the scenes, Bungo Stray Dogs. Not to be confused with anything else out there. You know, just from that. Just from <laughs> Unless that you, you want to see the cast as a Korean boy band. Which I do. I'm then, interested. Yeah. <laughs> One of the greatest appeals of this show is that they developed a lot of their characters around real-life novelists, authors. So today, Chris and I have each chosen a number of characters and their behind-the-scenes authors slash writers mm -hmm. to research. So what we're going to do is each one of us, we're going to go, you know, back and forth, yeah. and we will each prevent a little trivia question about the character we've chosen to cover um, that we will pose to the other person. And then, you know, we'll talk a little bit about each one. I had a lot of fun researching this. Same. So I'll start with Atsushi. Fun. Okay. I'll start with Atsushi Nakajima, who is our main character. And I was, I was really surprised, actually, because he, there wasn't a ton of information I could find about him. Okay, but I'll start with my trivia question. Okay, I'm so, ready. 
guess which one of the following facts, fact statements, is true about the real Atsushi Nakajima. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Number one. Sorry, I'll use letters. A. Yes. He was born to a family of literary scholars. B. He spent three decades of his life as a school teacher in Beijing. Or C. He was known for using tigers as a recurring theme (gasps) and motif across many of his short stories. Guess which one is true? I know that from my research, a lot of Japanese authors had this strange obsession with Chinese literature. I'm going to go with the flashy one. C. I think it's C. Final answer? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. It is A. No, he was born to a family of literary of scholars. Yeah. I was okay. like, oh, Good number C is going to distract her. I mean, nothing is like completely false. So A is true. He was born to, his father was a scholar of like classical Chinese literature, I believe. Oh, I and see. Interesting. He did not spend oh, three decades okay. of his life as a teacher. He died very young, I think from pneumonia. Um, uh, and he was yeah. a school teacher, though, but he was a school teacher in Yokohama, which is probably why that's kind of the setting of, of the story. And yeah, the thing about tigers being a recurring theme and motif, that's straight up false. But I just I just <laughs> that was that a good up. one. That was a really good um, one. But his, I think, most popular work was a piece called Sangetsuki, which translates mm-hmm. to the tiger poet. And mm. in the story, I guess the main character, Li Zheng, gives up his job to become a poet and falls into madness, later becoming a tiger. But yeah, there's not too much information on him. Okay. I guess maybe the mangaka was just, you know, you know when you become enamored with like a smaller character? But yeah. he just did that like with the smaller mm-hmm. character out of history, you know, like the right. underdog, you want to like root for them. So you just make them the protagonist instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'll start by talking about Ryonosuke Akutagawa. Okay. So, here is my trivia question. All right, I'm ready. How did Akutagawa view women in his literary works? I have four options for you. So, four? Okay. Yeah. A, innocent, benevolent, and kind-hearted, just like how he's always pictured his mother to be. Mm Mm-hmm. Two, sorry, B. <laughs> mm. B, vengeful, violent, and patronizing, like the female school teacher that once abused him in elementary school. Ooh, okay. C, dominating, aggressive, and deceitful, like the aunt that raised him in his mother's steed. So basically, by, by the way, his mom, like, abandoned him okay. as, a, as a child because she had, like, a lot of mental illness problems. Mm-hmm. And D, elusive, mysterious, and disassociated, like the girls he used to chase in college. Ooh, I love the way you phrase these. Hmm. Okay. I'm feel- you don't think I, it's innocent benevolent? I why don't do, think why it's, did you not ask I for that I don't one? think it's innocent benevolent because all I have is to go off of the character. Right, right. Okay, and I feel like course. that one just feels so left field. Uh, I, D is kind of calling to me right now. Right, right, right. So I think I'm going to go with D. D. D, elusive, mysterious, yeah. and disassociated, right? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that was a good okay. guess because that would have been my first guess. That was like the answer instinct. is C, dominating, ah. aggressive, and deceitful. Okay. He, like the aunt that raised him. Okay. Akutagawa, he was largely regarded as the father of Japanese short story. He wrote okay. probably over 150 short stories in his lifetime, mm. in his very short lifetime. His second short story was called Rashomon, 
which is what mm. is, you know, used as the yeah. name of his power in the show. And Rashomon is based on a 12th century tale. Um, it's a kind of it's kind of a strange tale and a little bit cynical. It's mm. about a servant who is starving to death. And he finds himself outside of the gates of Rashomon in the ruined city of Kyoto. And all all around him are like um, corpses. And he meets an old woman. Uh And the woman is stealing hair from dead bodies. Oh. So he's like, oh, like, that's so disgusting of you. Like, how could you steal from people like that? So the woman goes on to say, you know, like, I need to survive. So it's okay for me to steal hair because I'm making wigs out of them and I'm going to use them to, like, sustain me. Whoa. So he's like, oh, yeah, you think so? Well, then don't blame me for stealing your clothes because I need your clothes to sustain me. So he, like, assaults her, takes her clothes and runs away. I see. So that's the, uh, that's Rashomon. That is very interesting. (laughs) Very dark. He had spent all this like his entire life being scared that he was going to have or develop his mother's men- the same mental illnesses uh, that his mother was okay. plagued with and so he very much lived in fear his whole life i guess you could say okay so i will talk about osamu dazai um his real name is shuji sushima so i'll start with the trivia question um which of the following is a correct description of Osamu's most famous work, No Longer Human. A, it follows the story of a troubled but good-hearted man and his new wife as he struggles with depression and addiction. B, it chronicles the life of a young man, the narrator, told in epistolary format. The man struggles with suicidal thoughts and addiction, and each letter is directed to a person in his life. Oh my gosh. Or C, It's told in the form of notebooks left behind by a man, the narrator, who struggles to be his truest self and instead projects a hollow, facetious facade. I think I'm going to go with uh, A or B, A or B. Watch it be C. Oh, I'm so frustrated. (laughs) I'm going to go with B. B? Mm -hmm. That's wrong, isn't it? It's C. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So what's interesting is that Osamu died shortly after writing no longer human and he died by double suicide um really drowning himself in a in the in a river with a woman so a lot of people apparently like interpreted no longer human as almost like his will like um each notebook kind of like represents i think a point in this man's life and the character is someone who struggles to be his authentic self and so right apparently uh osamu's writing was very like it it kind of was like dark and wry almost but he was also known for having like a comedic aspect to his writing as well suicide was obviously a recurring theme in his work he attempted suicide many many times because he's such like a literary giant he's such a figure i think yeah when it comes when you think of like writers in japan so that sort of like the the grandness of his persona i think is also kind of reflected in the characterization of dazai's character in bungo Mm -hmm. yeah i think reading about how much he struggled with suicidal thoughts how many times in his life he tried to commit suicide and it it made me almost like i don't know like i felt really unsettled just like thinking Mm -hmm. about like 
sort of how his persona is, is being portrayed, I guess, in this show. Not that I completely disagree with it, because maybe the way that Japanese audiences will perceive that is going to be different. But yeah, I just like, I really felt bad reading about how much he struggles with like addiction and, and all that. So next I'll talk about Dopo Kunikida, yeah. who did not die of suicide. He did die early because of um, tuber- tu- tuberculosis. Mm. Um, number one, uh-huh. he grew up in rural Japan with his mother okay. and, her, and her samurai class husband. Okay. <laughs> number two, he went through three marriages and had exactly one child out of each of those marriages. Or number three... He suffered from vision loss after getting blinded by a flash bomb while in the army. So which one is true? Which about one is him? true? Okay. Yes. Hmm. I'm Kunikita. gonna go with Truth is A. Samurai family? Oh, come on, girl. Okay, yes, okay, yes. Yeah, you go! <laughs> oh, okay, yay! Okay, that was like such a shot in the dark. So Dopo Kunikira, the author, he yeah. wrote a lot of novels, and he was especially known for his romantic poetry. Mm, mm. Fun fact, he was interested in Western democracy and oh. developed a defiant attitude to the school administration. And because of that, he was expelled. Oh. Wow, he's a rebel. His ideals. <laughs> because he was a fan of Western democracy. Who was yeah. president of the United States at that time? I can tell you. Mm. Um, he began We're a Canadian, private... by the way. Don't yes. <laughs> We're not like stupid. We're just Canadian. <laughs> when, okay. he, when him and his family moved to Tokyo, he met his future wife, Nobuka Sasaki, which is the, the female character in the Azure. Oh, yeah, Sasaki. Sasaki, yeah. Against her parents' wishes... Nobuko's mother actually encouraged her to commit suicide rather to, than to marry Dopo. Oh my god. Isn't that just so, like, whack? But they got a divorce because he was having heavy financial issues, so they got a divorce. His first anthology, I believe, of his poems was collected into this, you know, collection called Dopo Gin. Mm. Um, and, you know, in the show, his abilities name is right. Dopoginkaku. Right, so right, right. That's probably yeah. where that comes from as well. Very interesting. I have one more person that I have prepared. Um, very excited about this one. So this is Fukuzawa Yukichi, who in Bungo plays the president of the agency. So guess which one of these works Fukuzawa Yukichi did not write. Okay. So is it A, Kokoro, a novel about the modernization of Japan from the Meiji period to the modern period, told through the perspective of a man and his teacher? B, an English-Japanese dictionary, which was published in 1860? Or C, um, an essay titled An Outline of a Theory of Civilization, which is an outline for a theory of civilization um, where he argued that like his vision for civilization is about furthering knowledge and education. So one is a novel, one is a dictionary, and one is an influential essay. I believe he would have written the novel. Oh, frick. He would have written the... You're so nervous. I'm so nervous. Do you want to know a little bit about him? Okay, okay. So the real Fukuzawa Yukichi was born to a poor 
minor samurai family. Um, and he's kind of okay. known for advocating for reform in Japan. But he was a big advocate for pushing towards modernization. Um, and because of that, he was considered, he is considered to be one of the founders of modern Japan. He famously, like, never took on positions of power, but uh-huh. he he translated a lot of books to Japanese on arts and chemistry, on military oh. and society. So he was kind of like a this. scholar, an intellectual. Yeah. What did he not write? Which one right? did he not That's write? the question. The novel? He didn't write the novel? Final answer? Yeah, it's the novel. It's the novel. Oh my god! You are so. You thought so so hard about that. He wrote a lot of like essays and textbooks and like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. So the novel though, Kokoro. Yeah, not the novel Kokoro is actually written by a writer named Soseki Natsume in 1914, and it's it is a real book, and it's considered to be one of the best selling novels of all time and it is a story that is about the like transition of like the modernization of japan and right um and that but yeah he didn't write it it was a different writer wrote it i like how even like this aspect of his, his of the real person being very humble like he never took on like high positions of power mm. in his life we also kind of see that humility in the character of fukuzawa in bungo as well um where he has that conversation with Francis Fitzgerald. Um, and he's all about, like, I'm for the people. Right, right. So, exactly. Yeah. All right. My last d- dude. Okay. Is Junichiro Tanizaki. The question is, Naomi was dot, dot, dot. A, the name of his first love whom with whom he fell for in elementary school. Mm-hmm. B, the sister of a friend whom he met while traveling in China. C, the title of his first truly successful novel. Or D, the title of his first poetry anthology. Was he... Okay, I don't know why my gut is telling me that she was not a real person. Maybe I'm just okay. like making... I'm just making that up. Right. <sighs> Frick. I'm gonna go with D. Final answer. You're gonna go with the poet? Yeah. He was a novelist. Frick, frick, so frick, close. Frick. The title of his first truly successful novel, um, which was called Chijin no Ai, and I guess, okay. but the English version is just Naomi. And it is a tragicomic exploration of class, sexual obsession, and cultural identity. Okay. Junichiro Tanizaki was, is highly regarded as being Probably the most popular novelist, maybe okay. aside from Natsuma Sosuke, uh, or mm. Sosuke, sorry. Um, and a lot of his works revolved around, like, sexuality, destructive erotic obsessions, and cultural identity. And his masterpiece was known as Sasameyuki, which is translated literally into A Light Snowfall. Mm. Um that was considered his greatest work. I see. It's a detailed characterization of four wealthy daughters who see their life slipping away in the early years of World War II. Um, and yeah, it's pretty cool because his power in the show is called A Light Snow. Yeah. And fun fact, um, there was a highly publicized dispute oh. between Tanizaki 
and Akutagawa. Oh, there <laughs> over, was tea. And this is a question that I would like to pose to you as well. Over yeah. the question of what is more important, structure mm. or lyricism? So that was their debate. Yeah. Akutagawa Ooh. argued that structure, how the story was told, was more important than the content or plot. And Tanizaki argued the opposite. Hmm. And you are not allowed to pick a in-between answer. You have to choose I'm going to go with Akutagawa. Same. Yeah. Actually, I agree. Because I can read about anything if the mm-hmm. narrative voice is there. Um, I recently read The Song of the Killers by Madeline Miller. This is literally just Homer's Iliad, which is like... <laughs> It's like a classic Greek work. I knew you were going to talk about this book at some point. Would you feel the same way if the Song of Achilles had not the backing of Greek mythology, which is in and of itself interesting and substantive content? That's a really good point. Could you read a really well narrated novel about watching grass grow? But but like, I think you... I don't know. It's just like, it's so hypothetical. I could have never cared about these characters in the way that it's portrayed simply in an epic Greek poem. But Mm -hmm. when you frame it in this way of this like buildings roman, quiet, epic love story, Mm -hmm. then suddenly it's a completely different, my relationship with the characters is completely different. And I think the fact that you don't, like you don't resonate with traditional stories of Greek mythology is a testament to that because I think Greek mythology is really interesting but I too Mm. also don't have an affinity towards any of the writing right this is a fun segment I had a I really (laughs) and I was able to squeeze in (laughs) shut up talking about this freaking book All right, now it is time for Dumpster Fire. This is the part of the show where we could just say whatever we want about anything we want, anything that wasn't brought up previously in the earlier parts of the episode. I just want to talk. Okay, actually, I just want (laughs) to. What do you. You start every Dumpster Fire like that. I just want to say that the way Kirishima holds out his. Is there anything like intellectual, slightly intellectual that we wanted to talk about in Dumpster Fire? Um, number one, tell me you know who Jazai's VA is. Oh my gosh, is it Tamaki? Tamaki's VA? Stop, is it? I'm gonna freak out. Is it Tamaki's VA? Yes. Tell me. Oh my god. Dazai is played by Mianu Mamoru. I'm so glad that that was so surprising for you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I do think that his performance as Dazai is really great. Like, I do think he really sells the role of Dazai very well. He's able to, like, show, like, these different facets of Dazai's character very well. You can really tell who is the favorite character um, of the production team and of the mangaka and Bro. which character got it's all so, the budget. He all got so the budget. The, his first shot is this like beautiful sweeping shot oh, where he's my like, God. "My name is Dazai. Dazai." I was like, "I was like, oh, it's that kind of show." 
Also, yeah, I just think mm. that Atsushi's eyes are so oh, beautiful. If you are so... man's and you have purple yellow eyes, can you hit me up? Yeah, slide into her DMs. Yeah, because I'm all about purple eyes. <laughs> oh, we should do our favorite characters. Yeah, so that's that's a fun segment that we can bring back. Oh, I need to uh, think about this. We should guess each other's favorite characters. Uh, should I guess first or? Yeah, you, you can do? guess first. Okay, okay, okay. Um, as I was watching the show, I was like, this Dazai, is an Emily character. Dazai is an Emily character. Oh, that's how I felt, to be honest. And I think it was the influence of Tamaki Suo. But I'm going to guess that one of your favorite characters is Dazai. Actually, he's not. <gasps> because dun, dun, dun. he seems really op like he seems like the most op character in this whole show oh and so you don't like them op i don't <laughs> my second guess is atsushi yeah okay great because i'm really soft for like protagonists these days my second is actually akutagawa oh i didn't even think of him because i frick, think he looks frick sick like i, I think his power is so oh cool god yeah he's like brutal but i feel like i haven't picked a bad guy in a long time like i haven't liked a bad guy in a long time yeah so, that's why i didn't I'll even give think this about one to him because your track record is like you don't like sunshine villains. and rainbow yeah 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 but i yeah. really i'm really into like atsushi's character design specifically mm. mm-hmm. yeah. okay I have, like, a main, like, I have, like, a favorite, and then I have, like, a secondary favorite. I can see you liking Dazai. I can't see you mm. liking Kunikita or Tanizaki. Mm. <laughs> Do you like Rampo? Not really. You Is hate that a rhetorical Dubai. question? <laughs> I'm sorry. I think you would like Dazai. Is that your final so answer? my answer. Okay, I'll give you a half point. He's my second. He was like okay, my nice, nice. Let me try again for your okay, 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 fine. For your first, <laughs> she wouldn't pick F. Scott Fitzgerald, would she? <laughs> Sorry, would she do that to herself. This is not. A, this is a rhetorical question. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, no, no. This is me talking to myself. Oh, do you like the president? Why would you be so keen on researching him? <laughs> I feel like I'm at court. Why would you feel so keen <laughs> on researching? <laughs> Why would you do that? Don't think about my track record. I'm not. I'm not. I'm thinking about your essence as a person. Oh, God. <laughs> I think it's going to surprise you. But it's not the president because he has no character development. You like character development. Unless you don't all of a sudden. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't overthink Okay, do you want a hint? Is this going to be too obvious? Yeah, I want a hint. It's it's in the detective agency. Kenji. You like Kenji? Kenji? That's your final answer? Yes. No, it's it's the president. <laughs> Which one's your answer? It's the president. It is? It's Kenji. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, go. It's the president. I'm saying president. You're going to beat yourself up. It's Atsushi. Yeah. 
I'm so I'm tough to guess. I have like there the way that I speak of characters. I don't think you could ever guess. All right, we're ending the episode here. No! I'm depressed. Okay, <laughs> I thought like maybe you'll pick him because I did spend a lot of time in the beginning talking about how, despite the uh-huh. fact that he was passive, I liked his characterization. I was I interested see. to see him grow. But despite that, I I like Dazai's character writing the most in this. So it's, oh, it's yeah. confusing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, okay. Good, good, good. It's okay. I got one of your trivia questions right. Uh, I'll, yes. I'll have that for myself. So we're good. <laughs> okay, rating. Okay. I will go first. Um, I'm going to give this show... Oh my gosh. This is hard. I'm going to choose to be generous today. I'm going to round up. I'm going to give it a three... Um, oh, three Atsushi's belts out of five. I'm choosing Atsushi's belts like because, tail. yeah, because in his character design, it's that. kind of, it kind of looks like a tail and it like kind of goes with the wear tiger theme. I'm going to give it a three. The reason I said I was going to round up was because in my heart, it's like a 2.5, to be honest. Like I thought that narratively it was like lacking, but it's not like super compelling to me. It didn't have a strong aesthetic that I was attached to. But I mean, if I if you were to ask me whether or not I enjoyed it, at the end of the day, I would say for what it was, it was fun to watch, but it didn't blow me away. I'm also going to give it three bombs. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I found it entertaining. It was really flashy, as I said, and it looked good. The characters looked good. Um... The premise is good. And I'm also being, I also want to be generous because like they have, it's like there's good ideas there. You Mm -hmm. just have to spend a little bit more time fleshing each of them out, um, creating emotional impact leading up to those moments. And I'm looking forward to watching the the later seasons but from the first season i just didn't feel like they brought anything new to the table of seinen or shonen anime um action I feel like mystery I had seen what are you all of these done better um so i wasn't sure you know what they were trying to accomplish here um other than tell this really flashy story and i still don't know where we're headed that yeah. being said it was still a good quality anime. I think it's it's on the better side than a lot of what's out there. So, you know. It's popular for a them. reason. Exactly, exactly. It is popular. We for can respect that. Yeah. So I'll give it some some leeway, some grace there. Thank you for making it this far in the episode. We know it wasn't easy, but we appreciate it. You can find us. Um, on Spotify, you can find us on YouTube, Google Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts at The Workshop. You can also follow us on Twitter at Into The Workshop as well. And we look forward to seeing you guys next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.